This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night, 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. Now, the purpose of this show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. We want to understand the work of tomorrow. In each show, I will talk with experts and leaders from a specific industry and get their insight on what is happening today and how things are changing in the future. This gets us to the topic of today. As your listeners of the show are painfully aware, your host is not a native English speaker. I learned English starting in fifth grade, taught by Mr. Bernard, who would randomly pick students for a vocabulary test. You got seven words. If you got them all right, you got an A, one mistake, you got a B, and, well, I let you figure out the rest. When last year I started to learn Chinese, I was thrilled to find out that you can learn languages now on a tablet computer using Rosetta Stone. So how will technology alter language education? This is the question of today's shows. That's the profession I want to zoom in on today is language teachers. To help us explore this topic, I have two wonderful guests. Christina Frey is the Executive Director of Language Instruction here at the University of Pennsylvania. And in the second half of the show, I will talk to John Haas, President and CEO of Rosetta Stone. Welcome, bienvenue, Huan Ying, or herzlich willkommen, Christina. Dankeschön. <laughs> How many languages do you speak yourself, uh, Christina? Fluently, I speak two languages. I'm bilingual, German and English, of course. I can communicate in Serbo-Croatian because I grew up in a Croatian household. I'm very interested in Turkish, so I can do a couple of words of Turkish. And in school, I also learned French. And then in the United States, I also learned Latin. But both are just for reading knowledge. What was your favorite language learning experience? Uh, field immersion, a book, a teacher? What was your best memory of learning? I think, honestly, I learned uh, Turkish in a very immersive way. I actually traveled to Turkey several times. My first visit was in 2012. And when I arrived in Dalaman, which is one of the smaller airports, I took a dolmush, which is one of the smaller buses, to the coast town of Ichmeler, where I was visiting friends. And during that time, I was listening to a radio show actually in that bus and that radio show gave me a sense of the intonation and the rhythm of the language and I got really kind of in sucked into the or honestly into the the just kind of getting a sense of it and that helped me quite a bit when I was then in Ichmeler where my friend lives to really pick up the sounds and the meaning from the my surrounding area so I think it was really for me that listening experience I'm a pretty pretty savvy language learner because I grew up in a bilingual home. And so I feel very comfortable in a context where I don't understand anything. So as faculty, we might not like the word, but we're really machines of a big knowledge factory, right? I teach business and I get student groups of 65. I keep mm -hmm. them for a quarter or a semester. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you teach German or any other language. What is the process? Uh, and both when you teach and now you're in a leadership position mm -hmm. where you over, oversee like mm -hmm. the entire pardon the word, in the entire factory. Mm -hmm. So tell mm -hmm. us how that organi this is organized. I mean, we have um, the great privilege, honestly, to be at an institution uh, that has uh, secured and sustains resources for language education. That is unusual, in my opinion, that you have an institution of this caliber who can really say, yes, language education plays a role. And uh, thus, our language courses remain small. Our uh, courses have a cap, usually usually of 20, in some places 18. Some of the less commonly taught languages, like any of the South Asian languages, the African languages, the East Asian languages that we are teaching, have maybe four or five students in class. So we can really have an incredible contact with our language learners here at Penn. Most of the courses meet four to five days a week, particularly in the beginning. So you have a sense of, yeah, this is part of a student's academic and personal and professional path because we have so much face-to-face -face time. 
So those would be like one credit course? Where These are usually one credit courses, yes. And so they meet uh, four times a week? Four to five times, sometimes three times. We also, our intermediate courses also sometimes meet three times. Our in evening courses meet two times, but then for almost two and a half hours. So we have a good contact with the students. All research shows doesn't matter how long ago in linguistics and applied linguistics, contact hours are the bottom line. So the more contact you have, the more likely you are, you are able to succeed in really internalizing and deepening language competence. Tell us a bit about the faculty who teaches these courses. We have an incredible language educator community. We are incredibly organized. We meet regularly. We have a language advisory committee that reports to our associate dean, Jeff Kalberg, in the School of Arts and Sciences. We are highly, highly prepared. Most of our faculty have PhDs either in the field of their studies, let's say German studies or Chinese literature or Arabic poetry. Many of them have masters. Many of them have masters or PhDs in applied linguistics. So they're highly competent. Most of our leadership positions, these are our full-time language educators, are nationally and internationally very active. They engage in research. They engage in uh, presentations at conferences. As the executive director, that's one of the larger pieces that I take care of to make ensure that we have really competent people here that can move into the future with us. So if I think about the economics of a university, since we are paid in a large chunk of our budget to the tuition of our students, mm -hmm. Students pay tuition for a degree, mm -hmm. so we can break it out into credit units mm -hmm. and then student mm -hmm. credit units. Mm -hmm. So if you think about those economics, uh, obviously a smaller class size is for you a commitment to keep mm -hmm. quality high and exactly. it comes at an expense. How do you see that the that, that trade-off made at ours if you look throughout the country? I think we've seen a couple of trends, bigger classes, but also an increasing usage of adjunct faculty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how is this playing out at the economy level? Beyond pen. I think, honestly, um, we could do a little bit more there because we have such a high caliber of language educators. Um, also the academic director of the Penn Language Center here, we, uh, that is a place where administratively you hire lecture bees, which are part-time lecturers. And I think that the university could do there a little bit more to really sustain the high level that we have achieved since I came into office, since we really have put our finger on these things need to change. So this is uh, business radio, and so uh, at some point there's an, an element of money involved. Of course, in that, that's right? fine, and yes. So I'm just trying to think uh, through the economics. If we think about a student paying a, tu a tuition of, be it $40,000, $45,000 a year in many of the private colleges, that means 20000 per semester. That means roughly like maybe four or $5,000 for a course they take. Mm -hmm. A course is depending on how you count the minutes, say a regular course, 30 times 90 mm -hmm. minutes long mm -hmm. or so, that gets you to, 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 to about $150 for every session. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that is, in some sense, uh, every time my student walks into the door, mm -hmm. I find this as a professor quite humbly, mm -hmm. they, 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 they offer you like $100, like, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, so how, again, staying with the economics, um, how, uh, how do you manage to... To, to succeed or to work in that environment where ultimately you have to balance a certain quality ambition that we at the University of Pennsylvania have with a need for, for, for cost? I think in a way we've been really fortunate. We have an... And I think I've been at University of Pennsylvania for 18 years. I was trained at the University of California in a state uh, system, so it's a little bit different. And um, I just think we have incredible people here who are really committed. So the, let's say somebody would um, is a lecturer, is a lecturer in foreign languages, could certainly at another university make more money, absolutely. But because we're also the University of Pennsylvania and we have quite a tight community, they're just really nice to stay here, honestly. <laughs> so if I think about um, a career for somebody who would just start to learn German, so mm -hmm. 
how many how many semesters maybe not to Nietzsche and Kant and, and Goethe but to a level where they could order a Wiener Schnitzel and be comfortable in a German environment is that typically six semesters worth of no I think we can accomplish that in four four semesters think for you know like I said we're fortunate we have the college has uh, a four semester language requirement to fulfill the pen language requirement Wharton opted to shorten that so that's only now two semesters but we hope that with the elective, the new elective schedule for the Wharton students, students will uh, advocate very early on to continue their language education. So it has something to do with, um, it's more in the hands of the students, the Wharton students now to make that decision. For the college students, I mean, we have the four semesters and the requirement is very much connected to the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages uh, performance indicators, what's called the national standards. And after four semesters, our students are what's what's termed intermediate mid in the profession and they can certainly function at an everyday level, very personal level, nothing to hypothesize or speak really continuously in the future or in the past, can certainly function in that environment. <clears throat> because the University of Pennsylvania is such, has such a professional component on there, most of the students will do study abroad. Wharton students and Huntsman students will certainly also do internships, and we work very, very closely with Wharton and Huntsman to ensure that these all make sense. So I think there is, it's um, honestly, it's a, um, a delicate balance between finding what role language education plays for each of the students mm -hmm. here at Penn. Once we have determined that, then we can figure out how to expedite. We could have intensive accelerated Turbo Deutsch. We could just go fast. We could do four semesters in one year, in two semesters. We can do summer. We can do summer studies abroad. We can do summer studies in the United States. We have Middlebury summer language summer school. So it depends a little bit on the vision of each of the students where the language education fits mm -hmm. into their preparation for competing in their professional path. In case you're just turning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Terbisch, and I have the pleasure of talking with Christina Frey about language education and the accent of your host here. Um, now, uh, let me stay with the money for a moment. So we're talking about four semesters that is kind of depending on how do you do cost accounting on the tuition. It's nevertheless a, a budget of some twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000 that mm -hmm. Uh, a young person through the tuition spends mm -hmm. on acquiring mm -hmm. the language skills. Mm -hmm. I, I want you to join me in a thought experiment. Sure. Imagine I would become the ambassador to Brazil. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I do not speak any Portuguese, mm -hmm. and not I would yet. have uh, <laughs> not yet exactly <laughs> your guess where I'm heading. So imagine I'm, I, my job starts on 1st January 1st, 2019. So I have mm -hmm. like a little over a year to mm -hmm. learn that new language. It's mm -hmm. really important. and. Mm -hmm. Trump administration aside, there's there's no budget constraint, and I would go all in. What would be the perfect curriculum for me? Money, no money constraint. How would you design a curriculum for me to learn a language in a year? Depends on exactly where you want to be in a year. Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Do you want to be at a leadership level, at a high-powered job where you sit in the boardroom and really can be an equal intellectual in the language and can convey in the language your intellectual that profile? That would be the goal. I, I'm aiming for the ambassador job. I mean, so you folks in the State Department, listen mm -hmm. out. I'll, mm -hmm. I've gotten, so yeah. I'm aiming really high. I want to be really co high. cocktail party discussions, but also give speeches and have mm -hmm. meaningful mm -hmm. interactions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, what would be, I'm just trying to imagine, like, for if, if there would be no money constraint and we had all the resources in the world, as, as the smallest possible class size, potentially a student of one, or you would pair me mm -hmm, up with some, mm -hmm, some others mm -hmm, to, to mm -hmm, type mm -hmm, the social mm -hmm. experience. What would be the dream if we had no constraints? What if you had no constraints? Yeah. As much contact hours as you possibly okay. can, honestly, and as, as much you can be, be able to do. I think a person can do accomplish quite a lot in a year. If you have maybe even, let's say there are no money constraints, if you had a personal tutor mm -hmm. and you really had a tutor that's not just focused like you're going to talk with Rosetta Stone, and I have much to say about that, but let's say this tutor really understands the context that you will be getting yourself ready for, which Rosetta Stone doesn't or any other um, kind of software that is really goes across in the same model across many different languages. But besides that point, you can certainly, once that person knows the context, they can prepare you very, very clearly 
for being successful in that context. I think the biggest challenge, in my opinion, is that uh, people who learn, students, people who learn a different language need to understand that language is power and language also will allow you vertical mobility. Now, the more you are able to actually uh, represent your intellectual acumen in the foreign language, the better off you are in terms of what you're talking about, but that takes some time. So let's say that you go into Brazil and you need Portuguese business language. There's no reason for you to learn many things that might not be at your fingertips right now. You need to learn some of the vocabulary items and language idiomatic phrases for your particular context. But you also need to be able to show that you're intellectually savvy, which means you probably need to read some of the literature that had been produced by some of the major cultural products, practices, practices, perspectives, contributors of Brazil in order to actually get, get across how smart you actually are. So I think that is the piece that people overlook. Mm-hmm. I think what the danger is that language oftentimes becomes functionalized. And that makes sense because we come out of a structured environment. We come out of historically out of the audiolingual period, the direct method, which means vocabulary, translation, just kind of the language piece. And we are now, though, understanding that it's also about really contextual mobility. And there there it gets mm-hmm. really interesting. So for you, I would say a year will be enough, but a lot of contact a lot of and a very smart tutor that can really tease out you cognitively to really use your background knowledge to make sense and to expand your language uh, competence. So is there is there a role in that in that best case scenario of language learning is there is there a case for technology in Absolutely. there to, to flashcards or so absolutely uh, vocabulary how how do you blend those into the curriculum here at, at Penn I think it depends on the different languages and the difficulty of languages for instance when you look at Mandarin and uh, any kind of a language that has a different script we could look at Russian as well There you are as a within a Western university, you also need to figure out how you are actually going <clears throat> to prepare the students or the participants to also read and write, which is different for languages in Western script. It goes a little bit faster, right? So that comes into the mix. So again, it's a matter of what do you want? Do you just want to converse or do you also want to really read and write at a really high level? So if you let me kind of sneak in mm-hmm. a question while you're drinking here. So it's a really interesting discussion and the kind of the framework I try to mm-hmm. develop here is, is, is there's really two dimensions that mm-hmm. as a society, as an organization, we have to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. The first one is is quality and excellence. Absolutely. And that's kind of why I was pursuing that mm-hmm. element of if money doesn't matter. But if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm part of a big state school system or mm-hmm. heck, many private universities are not as blessed as we are in terms of budget. Uh, you are teaching much bigger classes. You have much more pressure on, on, on cost per credit unit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would that usage or that profile of the ideal teacher change from the one that you just articulated, the person who helps me understand the context in my professional setting? Mm-hmm. How does that change for somebody who has to master much bigger classes, is under cost pressure? What, what, what changes in that part of the... You know, the, the, like I said earlier, the, we know from research, and there's, there's not much wiggle room there in terms of interpretation. One piece is contact hours, and the other one is motivation. Now, motivation is a very interested piece of, of cognition and of learning theory. It depends also on the students, the participants' motivation. You have high motivation. If you want to work in, in Brazil and you want to be in a leadership position, you bet you're going to give it your all in order to really uh, learn the language. So the motivation and the level of motivation is key, no matter how big the class is. The um, instructor really has to design a curriculum that motivates students to really stay at that high motivation to wanting to perform at a really high level. Now, this means really savvy online environment, very savvy online 
um, exercises that are not just rote fill in the blanks, but that really cognitively really get you to wanting to think and solve problems and puzzles in the target language. This includes savvy learning management systems with different types of softwares embedded in it, like VoiceThread, for instance, where you can... um, Record yourself. You can have a voiceover over a PowerPoint. You can pre- work on your digital presence. You can use that information to then inform the classroom. You have adaptive learning softwares that you can also embed where you can do certain kinds of, let's say, vocabulary exercises. But the software can identify where your strengths and your weaknesses are and guide the students into here are a few more exercises you need in order to strengthen this particular part of your language. Language competence. There are um, different types of um, softwares available where you really can learn strategically different kinds of learning strategies for understanding authentic materials, right? So that it's not the one-on-one translation anymore that gets us to the meat of the heart, to the heart of the matter, but (laughs) that gets you to really understanding what is the gist here and what is the most important information that I need from this authentic context. So I think over, and that's kind of where I wanted to get the future for for savvy language education needs very savvy instructors. And we're training right now, but it is a challenge in a way because oftentimes uh, instructors are also not as comfortable with technology. Oftentimes instructors are not comfortable with Google Translate and now with the new earbuds that mm-hmm. actually can translate right away with the app on your iPhone or your iPad where you actually automatically have simultaneous translation as if you were at the European Union or at the UN. Now, these things will in some ways enhance quick contact with uh, target language, but also will need to be taught how to use them for really more deeper learning. Uh, last quick question. Yes. Uh, predictions are always hard, and I that's <laughs> yeah. what we maybe shouldn't make them, but nevertheless, let me put you on the spot, and I'll contact you then when the, the time has come. But if you think 15, 20 years ahead mm-hmm. from now, will we have more or fewer language instructors than we have today? That's a good question. I think we will have, I, I hope we will have the same. Because I do think that in order to really address the individual needs of what role language plays for each of the students, we need that face-to-face contact. I think our, stu- our teachers need to be trained differently, like I said, in order to really be, in order to really have interest in language education where you internalize the language. Because on one hand, yeah, English is a language that is spoken globally, as particularly for business. But on the other hand, the real deep learning that really makes a difference in people's life and how they really interact with other people is not going to go away. In fact, I'm a very good friend with my colleague at the Monterey Institute of International Studies where they train uh, translators. Currently, we're in a dire need of more translators, which you wouldn't think, right, because we have so much good software out there and Google is going to get hot once the algorithms kick in and artificial intelligence kicks in and we can really serve the Internet for semantic, nuanced translations there's nothing that will stand in the way anymore. But that doesn't mean that those individuals who really want to internalize the language for whatever their personal motivation is will go away. So I hope that we have the same amount. It's possible that there will be less. I don't think there'll be more. Let's put it that way. But I really will advocate for this at this kind of level of institution, at an Ivy League institution of the source of the, like the University of Pennsylvania, that we will stay pretty much at that same level where we are now. Says my fellow countryman, uh, Christina Frey, who is Executive Director of Language Instruction here at the University of Pennsylvania. We need to take a short break now. When we come back, I will uh, welcome our second guest for today, uh, John Haas, who is the president and CEO of Rosetta Stone, and we'll continue the discussion of work of the future. How will language education look like in 20 years from now? Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Terbish. 
Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Tevish and this is Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio, Series XM. We've been talking about what it takes to master a new language, and that is certainly a topic very dear to my heart, as you can figure out, even after 20 years living in this country, I still speak with a heavy German accent. In the first half of this show, we had the pleasure of talking to Christina Frey, who is the Executive Director of Language Instruction here at the University of Pennsylvania. Now I want to move on and talk, welcome our second guest of this day, uh, John Hass, uh, who is the President and CEO of Rosetta Stone. Welcome, Huan Ying. Herzlich willkommen. Bienvenue, uh, John. Good morning. How are hey. you? Good talk. Uh, yes, how may, I understand that German has a special role in the history of Rosetta Stone, but uh, first to you yourself, John, how many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak one fluently. One fluently. Uh, with all these uh, product offerings that you have at Rosetta Stone, if you could uh, maybe spend six weeks of uh, a little bit of extra time, where would you? which language would you personally pick to start? Uh, I would choose uh, and have chosen Spanish, actually. Um, it is, uh, it is a, a language that I have uh, frequent need to use, um, both in my travels and in my time here at home. Um, and that's the language that I have uh, chosen since I came to uh, Rosetta Stone. So tell us more about the Rosetta Stone history. I mean, I was hinting at the fact that uh, the, the language of German has had a very special role in there. Uh, how did the company get started? So the company is about 25 years old. Um, it was begun um, with really the idea uh, that uh, the use of technology um, could play a vital role in allowing someone to learn a, a language. In fact, one of our founders had traveled to uh, Germany. Uh, they were spending time there. And they realized that the best way to learn a second language was through a truly immersive experience, the ability to travel and be in a different country fully surrounded by a second language. Uh, and they believed that that could be um, replicated, mimicked, through the use of uh, technology. And this was 25 years ago. You can imagine the state of uh, technology at that time. But the inspiration was a very sound one and continues with the company through uh, today in the way that we approach the instruction of language learning for a beginner, certainly, not necessarily someone who comes to us with a um, greater fluency in an existing second language. But for a, a, a beginner, we truly believe that a true immersion approach to learning a, a language is the, is the best way to get someone started. Um, and that's what we do in our uh, consumer products and for uh, beginners who come to us through schools or through their uh, corporate partners. So as a business professional, what I like the most about your product is this kind of this anywhere, anytime element with, uh, you know, you have sometimes uh, you're waiting for a flight or you have a kind of a half an hour in the evening after dinner. And oftentimes as busy professionals, we, we just don't have the luxury of signing up for a course where you have to show up someplace, be someplace, versus your platform has this anywhere, anytime mentality. Uh, tell us how, how, how the learning experience works. Sure. So as a, a beginner, you come in and you are truly immersed in the language that you are learning. You begin to learn the language from the very beginning. Uh, we believe in a few things. We believe in that approach. We believe in a multi-sensory approach um, where you have the opportunity to see the word or the action that you're, you're learning. Uh, so you have a, have a a visual approach. You can hear it. So you have the auditory uh, impact as well. And of course, you have the opportunity to speak it. Um, and when you speak it, we use our speech, it, what I refer to anyway, as our uh, speech enhancement engine. Other people would call it a speech recognition engine, but it's, it's really not meant to recognize your speech. It's meant to help you improve your speech. And so it listens to what you're trying to say and uh, corrects you. If you don't say it with the uh, proper intonations with the uh, with as uh, with the proper uh, accent, and it can be tuned up and down based on your current level of uh, proficiency in the language that you are attempting to learn. Uh, and you uh, progress through the program. You you build skills. Um, we believe the retention of what you're learning because we are hitting you. Uh, with, again, with both visual, uh, auditory, and the ability to practice your skills is, is much higher. 
Um, and it's also a very engaging program as well uh, because you are able to, to see yourself uh, progress and because we believe you know, we are able to, to help you speak phrases and words uh, very, very quickly, which uh, gives someone a great sense of accomplishment uh, and keeps them pushing forward in the program. Now, we also offer, because um, learning a language um, is a very difficult task, uh, as, as you likely know, uh, we also offer live uh, tutors as well, if, if you would like to take advantage of that to uh, facilitate your uh, practice. Uh, if you have questions, if there are issues you, you have, um, you can also uh, take advantage of a live tutor because, you know, I think truly to master a second language, uh, you, you know, you as a learner need to take advantage of as many different ways to practice and learn as you possibly can. I enjoyed playing with your with the tablet version where you have on the Mandarin you have the Nuzhen and the Nanzhen and Nuheizen and Nanheizen and you see these pictures of these women and the men and the boys and the girls, you see the the Mandarin symbols and I, I enjoyed that part. I've not taken advantage of your tutoring services. Uh, t tell me more how that works. Is that mm -hmm. an, an Uber type platform model where you basically provide a platform where learners and tutors work, or are these Rosetta Stone employees? How, how is it organized? Yeah, they are, um, they are uh, con contract employees of our, our company. We make uh, tutoring available in 24 different languages, if you can believe that. Uh, there are people that we have trained that work on our uh, proprietary system. Uh, you schedule a tutoring lesson with us um, when it's scheduled. You meet with your, your tutor. They're usually one-on-one uh, -on -one if you're a, a consumer user, but you can also schedule group lessons. Uh, and many of our uh, corporate customers have either group or one-on-one -on -one packages for uh, their employees. Um, you then meet with a, a tutor um, who knows where you are in your learning journey mm -hmm. based on your progress in the uh, self-directed learning application um, and is able to uh, work with you at your level. Um, and they're usually native uh, speakers of the language that you are looking to learn. Um, and we've found it to be a, a very, very good experience that uh, people enjoy. So what would be, uh, g g give us a sense of both the workflow and the, the cost structure of this. So if I wanted to uh, take an, a, a tutor lesson now in Mandarin, uh, I would, it is something that would have to be scheduled in advance, or could, I, could this be done on demand where I just press like tutor me now? Yeah, it usually has to be scheduled, scheduled uh, in okay. advance. Um, I think you'd find that with most any application and, and service at, at this point, given mm -hmm. the number of languages that we, we offer, it's very hard to offer that in so an on, on a demand basis. But the ability to, to schedule in a, in a timely way that fits your uh, schedule, mm -hmm. I, I think you would find to be quite, quite simple. And is the pricing, how, how does the pricing work? Is it a subscription-based uh, model, really, or is it per, uh, per use? It really varies uh, depending on the number of tutoring sessions that you're looking to purchase, whether you're coming to us through a corporate customer um, who may have bought um, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of uh, licenses. It will depend on whether you're, you're a, a single uh, user or you're willing to work in a uh, group class. Um, but I, I think in, in most cases, I think you would find it to be uh, very reasonable. So how how does your production process, parting the wording, uh, look like? So imagine you and I want to start a new language, Bavarian, uh, a very important German sub-accent. Uh, it's so different that I don't understand it myself. So we would need a new course. Mm -hmm. So if you want to add a new language, tell us a little bit like uh, what the development process, the production process looks like on your end. Sure. So we have a... Um, a, a, a very strong uh, education team that develops our products and works with us and our content. Um, they work very closely with a speech recognition engine, or as I, as I said, I'd like to refer to as our uh, speech enhancement engine in uh, Boulder, Colorado, uh, uh, actually. And they will develop the uh, content and the flow for the course. Um, they will work with the speech enhancement team who will literally train the speech enhancement engine for the words um, that will be part of the course um, by uh, using um, dozens, if not hundreds, of native speakers in the language that you are, in this case, 
uh, Bavarian that you're that we are building a course for where they will have um, um, adult males, adult females, and children tune the language. And when you were to be, and if you begin your uh, Bavarian course, you will tell the um, you will uh, tell the program well which of those uh, that you are, so that it is tuned to to your voice. Um, we we you know sample uh, each word literally hundreds of of times, as I said, with uh, different people, but all uh, native speakers of that uh, language, because that's, again, what we're trying to allow you to do over time, is to not just uh, know a word, but know how to speak it in a way that is comprehensible to a native speaker, so that when you've learned a language, as you have done so so well, um, that uh, that your accent is such that it is um, that it is uh, very, very recognizable by the person that you're attempting to speak to. And so those two things really work very closely together, both the development of the content, uh, the, the, the words and phrases that you see and that you learn, as well as the infusion of that content into the speech enhancement engine. But for you, there is a common architecture or a platform that you have developed for all languages, really, where... You're adding one more language is becoming easier and easier for you over time because you have developed the skills, a set of photos, a set of vocabulary flow that you learn certain words in a certain order. How, how much of that platform is common across languages versus being redesigned or custom built for each language? Yeah, it's really 100% common uh, in terms of the yeah, underlying yeah. engineering architecture um, and then we've, you know, we've, because we're in so many, you know, what we would think of as world languages at this point, we've, we've really not developed many of those of late, but because we've, I don't think what we have done recently, though, which has really been just a, a great thing for our company because it sits at the center of what we try and do from a mission perspective, is we have been working with um, Native American uh, tribes whose language is disappearing before them as the fewer and fewer native speakers uh, they've wanted to retain that part of their um, heritage um, and so we have been working with you know, a number of, of um, tribes to to build a Rosetta Stone for each of them, if you will, um, which again includes both the content, the speech enhancement engine, and it allows them to retain that part of their heritage permanently. Um, you know, train um, uh, children that are growing up. Um, and because you know, really, there are many uh, tribes who have very few native speakers left, which has been one of the difficulties. As I said, we we like to sample you know, dozens if not hundreds of native speakers as we build the speech enhancement engine. Um, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to do that in these uh, situations because there are so few native speakers left. But that also sits at the center of what we're trying to accomplish, which is help these, uh, these people preserve what is a tremendously important part of their uh, culture. And so the, the, our, our ability to, to do that and to do that relatively efficiently has really been uh, terrific. Uh, for us and our ability to serve uh, customers like that. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevish, and I'm chatting right now with uh, John Haas, who is the president and CEO of Rosetta Stone, a company that has really taken uh, language learning and, and put it really away from the traditional classroom onto initially uh, CDs and even cassettes towards now the online world. Um, so there is an element where I think there is some form of attention or disruptive threat, if I may use that word, where if you're looking about teaching a child, as you were just mentioning, uh, John, in the case of uh, uh, some you know Native American tribe, but for you know could be just somebody in a K-12 environment. Um, so how would you organize language education if you would be the principal or vice principal for language education in a K-12 setting? What would be the role of technology? Would, we, would technology be substituting some of the in-person piece? Or how do you think about your product blending into that kind of traditional education? Well, you, you really chose the right word, which is that it is meant to blend. And it is not, never meant to replace a, a teacher, but really... To, to blend in a way that provides and empowers the teacher 
if you think about language learning, again, and I think about my own language learning uh, experience um, through through high school where I was actually learning German, um, one of the things that is required in learning a second language is the ability to practice that language over and over and over again. And when you have a single teacher at the front of a class calling on students um, over the course of a 40 or 45 minute period of time and asking them to, to, to speak, the ability to really practice and get feedback is quite uh, minimal. Um, with uh, a program like ours where you can practice um, on your own time, either in the classroom, in a, a computer lab, uh, or even at home, and get that feedback from the speech enhancement engine. It really blends quite, quite elegantly. I am a firm, firm believer that having a teacher as part of that is, is hugely beneficial to uh, someone's learning. Um, I believe you can, you can certainly um, speak a language using our uh, program alone, um, but I, I absolutely believe that working with a teacher in a, a classroom is the best way to learn, and I absolutely believe that a teacher's ability to teach um, and for their students to, to you know, truly move forward at a reasonable pace is significantly enhanced by their ability to work with program like ours. And so they, they really blend quite, quite elegantly uh, together and, and really allow a teacher to shrink the classroom, if you will, and allow students to learn in a much more directed way with um, immediate response. And the teacher then can focus on the students that are uh, either struggling um, or they can spend more um, true, real, in individual time with a student in a classroom. So if you think about your different market segments, you have consumers, individuals like me, you have corporations, right, big companies who are basically preparing maybe expats or so forth for languages. Do you have uh, do you have deals with K-12 institutions where you power or you support, choose whatever word you like there, that you support their language department? We do. We have uh, deals with thousands of K K-12 schools across the United States, really serving two two needs. We're working with those schools in their foreign language departments, um, as you would expect, helping a, a student learn German or French uh, or uh, Mandarin. Um, but a very large part of what we're doing in the United States is helping students learn English as a second language, um, something that's been you know, a really important part of our of our business and our mission is working with those students and those teachers to help them learn uh, the English language so that uh, they can more quickly assimilate into the culture and, and in the case of a school, be much more successful in a school environment where they may be being taught their other subjects in, in English and their ability to uh, proficiently uh, interact with other students uh, with the teachers and with their uh, coursework is uh, significantly enhanced by uh, their acquisition of English as a second language as quickly as possible. Um, so that's been a really important part of our business. We also work with a lot of higher education uh, institutions in the U.S. And, and even more importantly, in many cases outside of the U.S., where the acquisition especially of the English language is viewed as a way to move forward more quickly in someone's uh, career, and so the ability to graduate with a working um, uh, facility of the English language when you leave college or you leave uh, graduate school uh, is, is viewed as very important. So where is the limitation right now on the technology? So I guess every technology has a... I mean, every language education, short of a class size of one, has a limit on customization and contextualization. Every learner has different ambitions and different goals. Um, and so I think the same is true for technology, right? When you build a technology platform, you have to kind of solve for some form of a common denominator here. Um, if you think about five or ten years from now, where where would you like to do better, so to say? Where, where, where are the next opportunities for you to further enhance the learning experience? Sure. It, you know, it's a really good question. And I, I think we've 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 come a very long way in in making the improvements I would like us uh, to 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 bring um, in the products that we provide for our uh, corporate customers and our uh, and and that's the ability to truly tailor the learning experience to to someone's needs. 
um, if you will, by following um, uh, can can do statements. You know, truly, what do I want to accomplish? What am I looking to learn as I acquire a, a second language? Is it because I have a reasonable facility in the language that I am uh, looking to master, but I want to be able to use it in a in a, a business environment where I might be negotiating or speaking with uh, third parties. Um, and um, you know, where am I? You know, the ability to test into the appropriate part of your uh, learning journey—all things that we do exceptionally well in our um, an enterprise product—and that I think you'll see start to filter into our uh, consumer products over time as well. Um, the other thing that you know, certainly we think about, and and um, uh, and, and we should, especially given our background as the leader in truly immersive language learning, or is what other ways <clears throat> could we bring immersion to a learner? And of course, that causes you to think about VR and maybe more importantly, AR as a learning tool for the future. Um, and I certainly believe that will be part of our uh, offering. It will not be in the next in the next year, uh, but in the next, if you know, if you're truly looking over the next five years or so, um, there will be a Rosetta Stone AR or VR product. I would I would certainly believe. Um, again, we're big believers in true um, immersion learning, and, and that is other than flying, you know, as our founder did to uh, Germany um, to to learn a second language. The ability to feel like you're in a truly and, and as I also talked about, can you want to touch as many senses as you can and being surrounded by a much more immersive environment, we think is a really interesting approach to learning a second language. Now, education always comes at a cost. Uh, if you just think about uh, our earlier guest, we talked about what it costs us here to educate a student at the University of Pennsylvania. Order of magnitude, we're talking about four credit units, a credit unit, if you look at the tuition costs, uh, they might run around $5,000. So very easily, you're spending for a language education as much as a car. There is some potential with digital products of doing it cheaper also. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the tension between uh, traditional language teacher and, and your company. Is it is it friend or foe? No, I, I think friend. I think again, we are a wonderful supplement to a traditional language teacher. Even a even a wonderful experience, as I as I'm sure you have, uh, at the University of, of of Pennsylvania, learning a second language, can be enhanced by as you started the show uh, by by saying, you know, this is something that I can use on the go, just to reinforce what I'm learning in a, a classroom. I can use it at home. I can use it when I'm traveling. Um, lots of different ways to to use it, whether it's on the on the computer through my tablet, just listening to uh, lessons, uh, practicing words on my Apple Watch. There's so many different ways of reinforcing that learning um, that I believe it's you know it's really quite uh, complementary, um, and it's also very very approachable from a price. Uh, point of view, if you're already spending that amount of money to learn a language, um, and we've done a lot, frankly, to make it much more approachable. You used to have to pay for a box of uh, Rosetta Stone uh, CDs, um, and you'd pay all of that up front. <clears throat> and a few years ago, that could be you know four or five uh, hundred dollars. Now you can purchase a three-month or six-month or one-year uh, a, a subscription that you know would typically be. You know, anywhere from fifty to one hundred and twenty dollars, depending on the initial uh, subscription term. But would you say? I mean, there is in any new technology, you're creating some form of value. You're making the language learning process more efficient, if you let me say it this way. And so there is somebody who is extracting value. Either we're going to have uh, the students speaking better Spanish at the end, or we're going to have Rosetta Stone make money. Or there is ultimately the need for for fewer te teachers. Is, is, isn't there some disruptive threat? Uh, maybe not getting all rid, rid of all language teachers, but wouldn't potentially through technology class sizes be able to creep up for traditional K twelve institutions who are facing a lot of cost pressure? Sure. Well, look, I, I I think that's that's absolutely that is that is right. Again, you know, we philosophically believe that if a school is looking to uh, provide language learning in a classroom that 
the best way to do that is in a blended environment. That said, we certainly find in many cases, um, which I, I think also goes to your point, where it can be both disruptive but also can provide a service when it's otherwise just not available. So there are many districts and schools Absolutely. around the country who struggle to find a teacher in a language that their parents and their students are looking to learn. And in those uh, situations where we can effectively be the teacher of the second language, um, uh, schools and districts find that to be hugely beneficial. If they want to offer um, Mandarin, but there is not a qualified Mandarin teacher Absolutely. in the in the uh, in the uh, um, area. We provide them uh, that ability, um, even if that means there might be a, a, a teacher in the room making sure that you know students are are doing the work they're they're supposed to be doing. That's that teacher doesn't have to be a native Mandarin. Certainly been our experience with, with German here. Um, so we talked about you and uh, Rosetta Stone potentially disrupting the language teaching process. Um, there's another way around where somebody might disrupt you if you think about Siri, if you think about what Google is doing these days with translating and translation and voice recognition. Do you see, where, where do you see the technology threats to your business right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, we, we, we have to be moving forward in all areas of learning, and we, we certainly are trying to do that. Um, there has been a plethora of lower-cost or even free language learning apps uh, that have come into the space. What we have found is that many of our users have used those before, and what they ultimately decide is they've been introduced to a a language they they enjoy it and what they really want to do is become much more proficient and they're willing to make the investment in our product to do that um, and so we're really excited to see you know I believe just a growth in language learning that's being driven by not just ourselves but others in the space as well um, I think AR and VR could be disruptive to the space I believe we will be part of that um, <clears throat> when I think of of translation devices, I think that could be important. Um, but I view that, frankly, as disruptive, as more disruptive to traditional translation services, which is a little bit different from learning um, yeah. than learning a second language. And all the benefits that you get from learning a, a second language, which go well beyond, as, as you likely know, just the ability to speak to somebody in that language. You know, studies have shown it creates empathy, it creates the understanding, it helps you learn a culture of a second language, it helps you, frankly, learn your own culture better. Um, you, know, you know, just tremendous, tremendous benefits in learning a, a second language, which will never be afforded through translation. Um, and so, you know, we, we view them, uh, we view those things as important, um, as uh, possibly having an impact on somebody who was otherwise just, you know, looking to learn a phrase or two if they were uh, going to be traveling, may not feel as compelled um, to use a product like ours or, or one of our peers or certainly to go to a, a class at uh, Penn. Um, but, um, but you know, I don't view it as a true substitute for learning a language. Thank you so much. I mean, learn languages, listeners. I think that is a summary of the show, and technology will change how we are doing this both in the classroom and outside this classroom. Great pleasure to talk with you, John. Thank you so much for being on the show. That's all I have to say for today. You are listening to Work on Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.